Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. this episode, I am joined by Sam, and we're going to be taking a look at the television ratings for the 2021 to 2022 year. How are you doing tonight, Sam? I'm well, John. How are you? I am doing well. I love doing these episodes because I, you know, I like watching TV and such, but I also like talking about numbers I don't have to crunch, so thank you for doing all the legwork on this, as always. Much appreciated. How did this TV season kind of do overall? Good year? Bad year? I mean... Simple answer is bad year, but again, nothing alarmingly new. It's been that way for 30 plus years. Well, and I would think not only just that trend of people finding other things to do than network TV, because again, there's more and more cable, there's streaming now and such, but also second year of a pandemic. They didn't really have a pilot season as such. So we got a few new shows. I think they were still in a little bit, I don't say of a recovery mode, but I certainly don't think it was a year I would have expected overall ratings to go up or anything like that. Okay, well, yes. And to be fair, year overall rate, well, when you say overall ratings, total number of people watching television has been going down for about 12 years now, 13 years, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember it peak 2007, 2009, something like that. So yes, the total number of people watching television is going down. A lot of that has to do with streaming. Uh, For the most part, those people aren't considered to be watching television at a given time period. And I can understand that. Streaming, while it's got shows that are very similar to television, it doesn't have the rigorous schedule that you've got to be there at a particular time for. And for the most part, it doesn't have reliable, consistent advertising. Ultimately, the reason we have these numbers, the reason all of this exists for advertisers. Mm-hmm. As much as people like to believe, oh, you know, I'm the consumer, they should make shows I like. No, the advertisers are the consumer. You're the product. Yep. And it just, it, it kind of is what it is. Arguably, streaming has changed that to a degree, but kind of, it's the same thing in some ways cable TV in the early 80s was. It became a, hey, I'm willing to pay a premium to get things I can't get other places. Well, and it's going to be interesting to see if streaming kind of follows a similar evolution or whatever, because when we first had those cable channels and such, they were a big deal, and then some of them are still around today, but do not resemble what they started as at all. The big, big early ones are still some of the biggest. They've been bought and sold and merged. and so, And ultimately, that's the big thing. You're dealing with two or three companies that own them all, Mm -hmm. which is very different than when it started. Yeah. And of those limited number of organizations that own all of them, one is significantly smaller than all the rest of them. And that is CBS, Viacom, Paramount, whatever you want to call that. Right, right. It is magnitude smaller than Comcast or Disney or... um, Uh, Who's the other one? You know what? Now that News Corp sold most of its assets to Disney, they're relatively small, too. Yeah, I was going to say, Disney is is just... It's it's Comcast and Disney. So, yeah. It just seems like right now, when I hear people talking about shows, more often than not, they're talking about a streaming show versus a a network TV show. Yes and no. And I didn't include those in here because they're, they're a very... What numbers exist are... Some of the services aren't signed on, and Nielsen only basically puts out a weekly top 10 for streaming. Mm-hmm. They're not as, A, the, the data that Nielsen puts out isn't nearly as dense as some of the other data. Right. And B, there are certain services that aren't represented at all. Now, what is hard to determine, and you got to really dig through the fine print, is how many services simply do they not track and they're not eligible to be listed? And how many simply don't have large enough audiences to be listed? 
what I think is interesting is there are some shows on the streaming stuff. I mean, obviously the ones on Disney Plus I think are doing fine in terms of the viewership. But even if they're not in some of these other cases, they've got a fairly engaged audience, or at least one that's in the circles I travel in, at least. So I think because people are having to, you know, go to the streaming service and say, let me see this now, versus, you know, flipping channels and it just happened to be on, there's a different level of engagement for the shows. It is. What's interesting, and boy, this, when you look at the streaming numbers, Nielsen puts out three charts, and it is movies, Mm -hmm. acquired television, and original television. For the most part, Disney Plus dominates movies for the most part. There are movies like Moana and Frozen that have pretty much been on, and that list has been coming out for, I don't know, maybe 70 weeks now. Well, the kind of shows that, you know, you put a kid in front of and they'll just watch until, you know, the cows come home kind of thing. Exactly. And like I said, if you look at the list of movies, there's three or four. Here's the thing. They're not what I would consider Disney classics. Because these are things from the last 20 years, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, when I think of the Disney classics, you know, I think of the ones from the 50s and 60s, the Pinocchios, the Sleeping yeah, Beauties. Yeah. It's not those. It's the ones from the 2000s. The Frozens, the Wreck-It Ralphs, the Moanas. Those have virtually been on those lists every time they've ever come out. I believe that, yeah. So, the question is, who is that hoping? Is there, clearly there's a group of people that watch these films on a fairly consistent basis. The hypothesis, and again, since the numbers aren't as broken down, we don't know this. The hypothesis, I would assume, would be like you assume. Younger children, you know, and we, you know, for those of us who've had kids, either in the VCR era, the DVD Mm -hmm. era, and now the streaming era, young children get attached to something and will watch the same movie three times a day, every day for six months. Yeah. So it could be that those are films that just have that type of an audience. Yeah, but regardless, from a content provider point of view, I would love that. If you got something that you can produce once, and they'll watch it, you know, ad nauseum, and, and you're making the money for the, the revenue every month or whatever, that seems like a, a win-win. Absolutely. At least up until but, they stop watching it. Yeah, so that becomes the question. You know, when do they stop watching? Does Disney have to keep putting out new things, or, or could they do this in theory forever? With, uh, you know, whatever, 55 or 60 Disney Animation Studio films that currently exist. And again, they're probably going to make one or two of these a year anyways, mm-hmm. simply for the box office and, you know, the reasons a film studio would make these films anyways. Yeah. But then that becomes how much value is there in the much more expensive originals you were just talking about? Well, and again, what's the shelf life on some of these? Do some of these start to feel dated whether they are or not? You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the other one that's interesting, and this has popped up in the last six months or so, I am completely unaware of it until I saw it. And I started, it's funny, me and some friends were discussing it, and I was, and how weird this is. And my wife's like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. There is a thing that I believe started on YouTube. It's basically 3D animation of babies singing nursery rhymes, Coco Melon. It has led that acquired television thing or been in the top three pretty much always. Since it's been out, which has only been a few months, they added one season to Netflix. Hmm. It is consistently in the top ten. I gotta believe the average age for this show is three to five. Yeah. And again, you know, there's a value in that. It's different than what we may think it is, but there is a value in that. Netflix tends to dominate the acquired television market, by the way. Mm-hmm. Shows like NCIS, some of those CW shows... Some of their originals, when Stranger Things gets a new season, uh, that's not acquired. The weird ones that are in between shows like Lucifer, which are partially acquired and partially original, Netflix does very, very well. Original tends to be spread out all over the place. Obviously, when those one or two, and it is one or two, as much as Disney would like us to believe it's kind of all of their originals, no, it's one or two. The Mandalorian, in particular, is just miles ahead of every other original they've done mm-hmm. when those are being released. Amazon surprises and does very well in the original show department at certain times. Shows like The Boys, The Invincible Cartoon, mm-hmm. the Henry Bosch series, Man in the High Castle, things like that. Uh, Amazon has done very well in that original 
show department, which is interesting. It's about the only time Amazon shows up on the list in any way, shape, or form. Well, it, it's interesting because I think both Disney Plus and Amazon are going with the, as long as we've got one thing that's at least got some buzz around it, maybe not all the time, but at least close enough to when the next one of those is going to come out. Yeah. In other words, you know, you've got, be it The Mandalorian or The Book of Boba Fett or whichever Marvel TV show du jour you've got, you've got that for a couple of weeks, a breather for a few weeks, so the the buzz on that, but you can be hyping that next show and stuff and, and doing it that way. And like I said, I'm not saying they're doing poorly, but what was the first Marvel original? WandaVision. WandaVision and The Mandalorian are head and shoulders past things like the Book of Boba Fett and the other Marvel shows. Well, yeah, because at that point, it's yet another one versus the highly anticipated first. Yes. Obi-Wan is too new. That's the other thing. Nielsen is really slow on those. Those come out on a weekly basis, but they're about four weeks delayed. As we record this, Obi-Wan's been out a week or two, and so I haven't seen any hard numbers on it yet. Interesting. Because, yeah, I think it's had three of the six episodes out as we record this, yeah. Is it? Okay, yeah. I'm holding off until uh, I can watch that with a friend of ours who hasn't been available yet, so. I- I'm getting to where those things, I'm letting them pile up and I'll binge them at the end. Particularly if it's like a six-week run, you know, why not? Well, and it's interesting, like the other day, the friend I do watch things with was available a few times. And we kind of, we chose to go to the theater and see Doctor Strange 2 instead of starting Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went and saw Batman. We went and saw the sequels. Of, we've had other options that we've chosen instead of it. Again, that's just me. That's not necessarily indicative of a wider group, but it's not necessarily not either. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say. So yeah, who knows? <laughs> so how did the network stuff do this time? Were there any clear runaway hits? The simple answer is no. That was kind of what I was figuring. There's what is considered good now, which is a frighteningly paltry number. Successful broadcast scripted shows these days. Average a point five rating with five and a half million viewers. I mean, that's your upper echelon these days, which is just kind of sad. <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, that's granted it would be a large city, but that's a city and you're airing it nationwide. Yes. So, yeah, that's... I mean, I expect these numbers to go down over time, both because having crunched the comic book stuff and seeing similar trends there, etc., but also just that's the way of things. Yeah, and like you said, you're letting things pile up. Again, these tend to be live, or within 20... Well, these are live plus 24-hour. Again, the only numbers that really matter are not represented here. They're, they're very expensive and difficult to come by. Are the commercial threes which are the number of people that watch the commercials in the first 72 hours. Yeah. These historically have, when those do get released, have been the closest to them, which is why we use them. Mm-hmm. Or why I use them. Yeah, and they're just, they're not great. I did see a look at some of the C3s after the November sweeps. I saw a look at the C3s. The even kind of odder part is the average age of television viewers. Of broadcast television shows, there was only one where the average age was under 50 of the viewer. And that one, when I say it was under 50, it was like 49.7. Yeah, I would have expected it to be at the upper end of that under 50 area. Exactly. I think a lot of the younger people, though, are going more for the streaming or the time shifting or something of that sort. Yeah. I mean, I think Gone is for the most part, like my mom's generation, where, I mean, she still goes through the TV guide or its equivalent in the newspaper and stuff of, let's see what's on at 8 o'clock or let's see what's on at this time and stuff like that, and is just hard-wired for for live broadcast television. Yeah, and there's only a few things that come close as we've discussed for years and nothing has changed. For the most part, it is professional football. Mm -hmm. Again, we were just talking about how the average good thing is a half a rating point with 5 million viewers. The Super Bowl, again, we, we kind of know that almost a 30 rating, almost 100 million viewers. The week before, the, the, the NFC and AFC title, 13 ratings basically with 50 million viewers. On a week-to-week basis, the highest rated thing is the 4 p.m. Eastern Sunday football game. 
which flip-flops alternate weeks between CBS and Fox. There are things to look for live that have an audience. Really, these aren't the same types of numbers. Big award shows, the final episodes of really popular reality shows, The Voice, America's Got Talent, American Idol, The Bachelor, that type of stuff. There is something to be said for things that have a shelf life of less than 24 hours. Yeah, where there's an immediacy to it. Do much better. So let me make sure I'm understanding this, and I want to make sure I'm kind of comparing apples to apples here. If I jump to the events tab where you've got the Super Bowl numbers, yep. its rating was 29.47. Yep. Is that ratings overall or ratings 18 to 49 like you've got on the other? That other is tab? 18 to 49. Okay. So I'm going to round this to it's a little under 30. It's 30% of the people that own a television in this country between 18 and 49. If I jump to the overview tab yep, and I sum the 18 to 49 rating for everything you've got there, which is, I don't know... 80, 90, 83 shows. Yeah. I get a sum of, what, 31.692 or something? Yeah. Which is not that much higher than the Super Bowl. Is that basically saying that on average... The people who watch television, like all of them are more or less watching the Super Bowl? Unfortunately, no. Okay. You really are summing apples and oranges. That's what I was afraid of. That's why I thought I'd clarify. Okay, okay. One is 30% of the people with the television were watching the Super Bowl at a very specific time. Right, right. For those four hours that day. What you did in the other case was took 83 shows took their average percentage of those viewers, Got and it. then just added them all up. Yeah, yeah. And adding averages like that, not not good. Uh, particularly since, again, my assumption would be there's a lot of overlap. Oh, absolutely. You know, people watch more than one show a week. Yes, yes. Where, yeah. But it does show that there's just an order of magnitude difference Oh yeah. between how a scripted show on the air at a particular time does versus something that's actually happening live, people have a vested emotional interest in the outcome of a sporting game, that kind of a thing. Absolutely. And yeah, it's just, there used to be shows that would do that well. Of course, that was back when there were the three networks and like nothing else. When there were three networks, shows would get canceled. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you were under a 30 at Matt and there were three networks, it means you were the bottom of the three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just that's the way the, the pie got split. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You go back again to the 60s, popular shows had, you know, 50 and 60 ratings. Yeah. But there were fewer things competing for everybody's time. Obviously, streaming wasn't even dreamed of. The, nope. the internet was decades away. Well, there wasn't even VCR. I mean, there weren't yeah. even VCRs. There was no, if you wanted to watch a movie, you either went to the theater or you waited for one of those networks to show it usually on Sunday, and several of the networks had major movies that they would show regularly. You know, I think CBS used to do Tuesday nights. ABC, if I remember, used to do Thursday nights. Yeah. You got to be old enough to remember those days. If you went out to the theater back then, it's not like they had the the major Metroplexes and stuff where they were showing, you know, eight or ten films at one theater. No. It was just a very different competitive landscape at the time. Yep. Now, the other thing that did change is that percentage, when I said, oh, I show had a 60 rating. Mm-hmm. Now, if something would get a 60 rating, nothing does. It would mean, in current terms, about 60% of that population, meaning the population of the United States, would be watching. In those days, when shows had ratings like that, again, it was only a percentage of television households. Yeah, and not everyone had a TV. Not everybody had a TV. You don't have to go back, you know, I know that, you know, now everybody's got 10 TVs and they're in four rooms and they're all hooked up. You don't have to go back that far when it wasn't unusual for 20, 30% of the families you knew not to have a television. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, it, you go back to the, the 60s and thereabouts, there were some major market areas that had a TV station. Oh, yeah, there were networks that were not covered in certain major areas, other than New York and L.A. Yeah, whereas now, I mean, I mean, I know Austin, Texas had one station 
and at the time they were able to have it be an affiliate or you know get programming from the three major networks. Yep. Whereas now within a five maybe ten mile radius of where I am physically sitting at the moment, there are I'm gonna say at least six maybe seven not only TV stations but TV stations with studios. Yep. You know. So again, the amount of content out there, the amount of choice, and it's just going to get more and more competitive as people have more and more options of what to to do with their time, be it watching some form of either television or streaming or going to the movies or surfing on the internet or going to a sports game live or or something like that. That being said, every time they do kind of surveys of those types of things, the amount of time people spend staring at a screen and I'm not talking at your cubicle at the office. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to be entertained. Yeah. yeah. It continues to go up and up and up. Well, I mean, it's a portal to, like, everything. And I'm, I'm just even talking video entertainment. Mm-hmm. The amount of time people spend watching, whether it's YouTube videos or televisions or streaming or on their phones, on their computers, on their whatever, that number does keep climbing. Uh, again, you don't have to go back that far. Average person watch less than 10 hours of television a week. Yeah. That number, again, if you start including all those different services, that number's in the 40 and 50 and 60 hour range these days. Well, we're at the point where I would almost question how many hours of video content are being produced within, say, a 5, 10 mile radius of where either of us are sitting. In terms of YouTubers, in terms of other influencer, content creators, you know, be it TikTok, Instagram, or, you know, whatever it would be. Yeah. So the amount of of content on a non-professional level out there is staggering. Yeah. And it's funny because it seems like a lot of it is talking about, well, here's what I thought of this show or that show or people playing video games or, or something of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. For those that follow kind of more the business trends, as we've seen, Netflix had its first kind of down quarter ever mm-hmm. recently, and it's brought a lot of questions and market shifts, which won't affect most viewers. However, it is starting to, uh, I'm trying to remember, the Netflix the other day did kind of cancel a bunch of things in production. Yeah, I was going to say, it's changing what they're spending their money on for content creation. It is. And one of the big things, while they've canceled a lot of stuff, films. Netflix, a few years ago, was very much, we want to compete for Oscars. We want to be treated like a film studio. Mm -hmm. If you look at what they've chosen to kind of ungreen light in the last month or so, and kind of taking the opposite approach is, hey, those original shows bring us a lot more buzz than our even potentially Oscar-nominated or Oscar-winning films. Yeah. And so, yeah, the well, plenty of shows in production got axed, the number of films in production or pre-production really got axed. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, I would go pragmatic of what's bringing in the revenue. You know, if it brings in critical acclaim, that's nice and that's good. You want to do that once in a while, too. But what's keeping the lights on? Yeah. The current Best Picture, interestingly enough, was a first produced by a streamer, Best Picture. Oddly enough, arguably one of the smallest, least consequential streamers. Coda was originally produced as an Apple Plus original. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. I mean, Netflix, you know, they they had Scorsese, and they got nominated a bunch a couple years ago for that that gangster movie with De Niro and all those guys with the weird aging technology they used. Mm Mm-hmm. But... That film, as I remember, didn't win anything or won very little. We actually had a Best Picture that came from streaming this year. And again, it wasn't a huge hit or, like I said, even one of the top rated streaming services. So, again, critical acclaim is one of those finicky things that very often means little other than in the aftermath. It's very hard to produce a picture you think is going to be a Best Picture. Yeah. Films that win those types of awards do much, much better than they would have if they didn't. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. If if people think it's good, other people want to check it out. So I, I totally get the, I don't want to say secondary audience, but that, that new audience it finds when it wins those awards. It gets on people's radar. Yeah. And again, Best Picture usually, usually are major feature films. Where you really see that is short films, 
documentaries, not the ones that aren't produced by major studios to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a short film and you win an Academy Award, you actually get seen by some people, yeah. maybe a small number, but but compared to ones that don't win awards, they get seen by four people uh, at film festivals. It's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, awards are nice, but they rarely make a huge difference, particularly that you can bank on. Yeah. Ahead of time. Yeah. So, how do we want to look at this? Uh, let's do a quick look through the networks. Sure. I'll be honest, there are a couple of these networks I don't think I watched anything from. There's one or two I watched one or two things, and one or two, would, I like CW, I'm, I'm watching their, the, the DC shows, of course. Yep. So, I'm feeling fairly uninformed on what a lot of these shows even are. So, if you just want to talk about whatever the highlights were for the different networks and stuff, we can go with that. Sure. Well, I mean, let's start just alphabetically. We'll start with ABC. Okay. Uh, the top two shows, Grey's Anatomy, been around forever. That's not really a surprise. Again, we're dealing with its 18th season. Station 19, I think it's a fire show. It might be a police show. I don't even know. Is <laughs> its next highest rated show. Abbott Elementary is a new show. It's doing fairly well. However, that dropped off. It didn't get a lot of episodes in this year. So it, that one's hard to, you know. It got some buzz, so I think it'll be interesting to see how it does on a second season. Yes, exactly. Goldbergs, the Connors, the New Wonder Years, all fine. These are all renewed. Blackish was in its announced final season. The Good Doctor was renewed. It feels like they really pushed that show its first year, and it is now in its fifth season. It has safely stayed just barely in the It'll Survive line. It's pretty much entire existence. <laughs> mm-hmm. Again, the rookie home economics, big skies, a David E. Kelly show. I'm a little surprised it's coming back. Again, it did fine, but not great in its second season. And then shows that did terribly, The Promised Land and Queens were the two shows canceled. Okay. And I watch The Goldbergs and nothing else on this list. I didn't watch anything on this list. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, we're not overly versed in these. Moving over to America's number one most viewed network, as they love to remind us, CBS. That is true. It tends to be two things. They do a lot of sports, and the older audience that's still watching a lot of television loves this network. So CBS, every year for most, they're America's most watched network, and that for the most part is true. Let's see. Young Sheldon, I do watch the Big Bang Theory spinoff. They did some interesting things. They renewed a bunch of shows for two years. That includes Young Sheldon, FBI, The Equalizer, FBI International, and FBI Most Wanted. So we got three FBI shows plus Young Sheldon and The Equalizer. They were all renewed for multiple seasons. Interesting. There is a show I actually really like, and I'm actually surprised it's doing as well as it is, Ghosts, which is based on a British show. I've heard of that one. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm curious about it because I think the lead female was a uh, Power Ranger back in the day. She was. She was also a zombie. That is Rose McIver. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's the one. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, she is wonderful. And yeah, and basically the house is haunted and she's one of the few people that can see and interact with the ghosts. And in the particular case of this American show, they're here in America. So you've got everything from... Vikings and Native Americans to people that died in the last few years. So you get you got a wide spread of time ranges in the ghosts. Cool. But yeah, that show's fun. Nothing particularly interesting. Let's see, what was canceled? Well, Bull is ending. Bull was ending, yep. That one I've watched. Been As did that. Magnum P.I., that was not a pre-announced ending, so you can say it was, whatever. It, it will not be back. <laughs> and then, interestingly enough, I actually thought these had the ratings to stick around. Chuck Lore had two of his newer shows canceled in the United States of Al and B Positive, which overall did much better than many, many shows. Again, we're talking about a list of 83 shows on all of broadcast television. Both of these shows were right around the 30th ranked show, 28 in the United States of Al and 33rd in B Positive. Those are fairly well-viewed shows from a uh, creator you'd think they'd want to keep happy, but both of those shows are coming to Interesting. That is surprising. And then two new shows that were awful and never found an audience and just don't seem to care. How We Roll, which was a comedy, 
I believe, about a bowling alley in Good Sam, which was a drama, and I don't know much else about it, neither of which ever found an audience. Yeah, the only thing I'm watching on this list, other than Bull, is SWAT, which I'm really enjoying. I think they're doing a great job with that. Yeah. Uh, There's a few things that I think they could improve on the writing, but overall, they do good stuff. Yeah, and SEAL Team, I do have on here. They aired a couple of episodes kind of to announce and remind people it was moving over to Paramount+. Plus. Ah. So it doesn't really kind of belong in this list. Yeah, yeah. Young Sheldon I watch. Again, I'm more of a comedy guy. Young Sheldon, The Neighborhood, Ghosts, Bob Hearts, Abishola. Those are the shows I watch. All comedies uh, and all doing just well, very well. The Neighborhood actually has actually been, I don't want to say climbing on ratings because absolute number is not up, but it is it is falling less than others, therefore increasing its standing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's failing slower than the others. Yes. Uh, yeah, but Cedric the Entertainer's show, The Neighborhood, is doing a very well. Second highest rated sitcom on the network, and I believe it's actually the second highest rated sitcom on television. So, hmm. Interesting. Losing out only to Young Child. Yeah. Do we want to skip the CW since that's probably the one we'll have the most to say about? Yeah, we can circle back to that one. Moving on to Fox. Fox is interesting. They sold off their studio. They sold off most of their interests, except in News Corp's news organization. And they did keep the network with kind of a statement going forward that they wanted to be more into unscripted programming, uh, whether that be sports, reality shows, news, whatever. They seem to be pulling back from traditional scripted television. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they don't have a studio anymore anyways. So whatever they have, they're buying. They tried some things, many of which didn't work. However, show that seems to be doing very well for them. I don't watch 911 and its spinoff 911 Lone Star. Yeah, I haven't watched those. The Simpsons continues to be The Simpsons in its now 33rd season. Wow. And it will be back for a 34th season next year. Again, they've got that kind of Sunday animation hour led by The Simpsons, The Family Guy, Bob's Burgers, Great North. Duncanville's been in there, a few others. Those are kind of all doing okay and are coming back. They tried a couple of new shows. They put a lot of promotion in. To The Cleaning Lady did pretty well. I have not watched it. I was kind of interested in it, but I didn't get around to actually watching it. Call Me Cat is Marion Bialik's show based on a British show. I do watch it, even though I sometimes question why. Uh, <laughs> it did get renewed, which was... It was very borderline on the low end of borderline. And then our kind of people pivoting and big leap where the three shows canceled. Our kind of people was a drama that just didn't work. Pivoting was a comedy that was in there with new shows like Welcome to Flash and Call Me Cat and stuff that I mentioned that didn't do very well. And the big leap was a scripted show meant to look like a reality show about dancing. Ah. Uh. That, unfortunately, did not work. Well, unfortunately, I don't know why I'd say that. That didn't work. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Well, it's unfortunate for the people who were working on the show. It, it is unfortunate for the people who were working on it and the uh, couple of people that watched it. Most people probably don't remember it, didn't know it existed, and didn't care. <laughs> yeah, there's a number of shows on here that, honestly, I had never even heard of. Yeah. But I didn't watch anything on this network, so yeah. Yeah, like I said, I watch most of the animated shows that have been kind of, I mean, that Sunday night's been there forever. The Simpsons, and they've kept some animated shows in and out of there. Family Guy's been there forever now, it feels like, as well. Bob's Burgers, in its 11th season as well, has their first motion picture releasing the next couple of weeks. I think really the, the only big question for me out of these shows is with The Simpsons, eventually they're going to hit the point where the voice actors are just eventually going to age out. I mean, either not wanting to do the work or, or not being up for it or whatever. I mean, they can't, they're not going to live forever. Well, and we've seen that. Several of them have passed. But I think once you get the core ones who do, you know, Bart and some of the others and such, can you find a, a suitable replacement that gets accepted or not? That, to me, is, is the potential breaking point of the show, if you will. Yeah, and every year there is some talk the cast wants more. Every time a negotiation comes up, this was a this was a two year contract that we were 
on mm-hmm. before this. There's always some talk that the Canada we're sick of doing it, but the deal gets done. I would say, like I said, several of them have a past, unfortunately, over the years. I mean, at this point, Sam Simon's no longer with us. He was one of the early main producers of the show. Yeah. As well as Marshall Wallace. And- well, and, and that kind of thing becomes another risk factor of when you've got a show that's going on 33 years, are you going to start bringing in writers and other people who want to be making the show they grew up with versus the show it needs to be today? Yeah. There's a lot of debate here among Simpsons fans, which I am one of a long time Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Many people the show feel the show. There's a couple of accepted points of the show significantly got worse at this point. Many people feel the first eight seasons are simply almost perfect television. There's very little argument there. Some people feel it stayed good for a lot longer. Most people think that when Matt and Sakai and the group that left to make the Simpsons movie, mm-hmm. and then it got taken over by Odenkirk, the show is clearly different between those two points. Well, yeah. How could it not be when you've got different people behind it at that point? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, as far as the actors go, I mean, ultimately, you probably got to keep Nancy Nancy who does Bart, and you got to keep Dan who does Homer and several other characters. You could probably get away with just about losing everyone else. Yardley Smith doing Lisa might be the other one. What I think would be a hilarious thing to do if they got to a point where for whatever reason they had to kind of flip over the cast do an episode that's a Doctor Who riff on regeneration. Oh, yeah. And just kind of mask it that way or whatever. And it'd be a turning point for the series, but that's not to say it couldn't recover from that. Well, and again, the show's been around for so long. They've done variations on that several times already. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't watched the show in a couple of years, uh, even though I do still watch the early episodes regularly. Yeah. It's just with an animated show, I think you've got different hurdles, and it starts to be the behind-the-scenes people of the writer, the producers, what type of show are they wanting to do versus what it had been. And then again, the the voice actors, which can stay on this kind of a show way longer than they could if it was a, a physical, you know, live action thing. Well, and again, we, we can you replace them? The simple answer is kind of no, but it's also kind of yes. Well, you can. The question is, should you? And how effectively can you? We've had multiple people do very iconic cartoon characters over the years. Yes. And you can hear a difference. Sometimes it's it's acceptable. Sometimes it's grating. And it really comes down to if they flip the voice cast on a point where they've got some really strong writing and other stuff and people are loving it, they'll be more forgiving. If they do it not so well and it's a time where people are thinking, ah, the show's in a slump anyways, could be the kiss of death. But it seems like at this point that's going to be the eventual deciding point of, of the fate of this, barring anything, you know, radically changing or something like that. Absolutely. And that being said, uh, the Looney Tunes have continued without Mr. Blank, which is, you know, mm-hmm. many of us would have thought was impossible. Donald Duck's doing just fine, even though Clarence Nash is no longer with us. Yeah. And people forget, Walt was actually the original voice of Mickey. That didn't actually last very long, but Walt voiced Mickey himself at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, hey, hey, the Muppets are having a kind of resurgence thanks to Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And Kermit and Jim Henson haven't been with us for quite a few years now. Yeah. So, yeah, it's one of those things that's hard to think about, but ultimately, if there's a product that people want, they will find a way. Yep. Absolutely. Much like comics. Yeah. You know, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee and Joe Sy- and these guys have all been gone for many years now. Those characters continue. None of the founding fathers of DC or Marvel are still around doing their stuff, so the characters have survived. Yeah. In some cases, fine. Other cases, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, interesting. So, yep. And we can move on to NBC, which arguably is the most successful network out there. The guys with the Chicago shows and Law and & Order, they have somehow managed to find a group of shows that people will tune in to watch. Mm-hmm. And younger people, and the fact that you're talking people under 65, will tune in to watch right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, you know, NCIS kind of has the same thing going, but it's a slightly older crowd. Yeah. So, yeah, NBC, and again, having the only primetime football game with Sunday Night Football, NBC really is kind of the strongest broadcast network. Mm-hmm. And again, that's a choice Comcast has made. 
Disney, again, could have primetime football, has decided it's more valuable to them uh, to have it over on ESPN trying to sell that cable channel. Yeah. Rather than being on ABC these days. And we've seen that several places. Warner Brothers or Turner Television did the same thing. The, the NCAA Final Four basketball tournament was mm-hmm. on cable television. Something that was traditionally for many, many years on broadcast television. Yeah, but if you've got something like that that you know people are going to want to watch, and, and if they have to, they may grumble, but they'll pay a little more for it or whatever. Yeah. I, I get it. I don't agree with it necessarily, but I get it. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. What NBC has struggled with, and has str- it's weird because we're of the age where 20, 25 years ago, they were the undisputed kings of the sitcom. Yeah. And boy, since that ended, it is really ended, and they have struggled. <laughs> they have struggled mightily. You look at the list of shows canceled. Mr. Mayor and Keenan, two of their comedies, are on that list. Other shows that will continue, but not necessarily doing all that well. American Auto, Grand Crew, and Young Rock. Yeah, NBC is not the comedy juggernaut it was in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, that is certain. Yeah. Out of all of these shows, there is one that I have watched. Okay, you might be ahead of me. Which was the one you've watched? Endgame. Endgame, okay. And that is one of the ones ending. Yes. What can you tell us about that? That one I know nothing about. That is one that conceptually reminded me a little bit of of the blacklist, kind of, you've got somebody on the wrong side, they need information out of that person. In this case, it was an international arms dealer played by Marina Baccarin, who gets arrested and questioned, and it seems like she set the whole thing up, because the day she's been pulled into this hole that they've basically locked her in and stuff to get all her secrets out of her, her people take over like six or seven banks that day. And she's like, yeah, I I think the dynamics shifted a little. And it was supposed to be one of these big master grand plans, she's got everything figured out, and you've got you know, the FBI trying to keep up and figure out what's going on and stuff. And for the most part, they did a fairly decent job keeping up that level of action and intricacy of the plot and stuff. Where it lost me was ending on a note of really wanting that second season and, of course, not getting it. NBC has been guilty, done this many times in the last 10 to 15 years. I blame that on the writers more than the network. Yeah, there was that show they were buying from Sony that Sony paid them enough to get a second but couldn't convince them to get a third. Was it Timeless? Timeless was one that got a second and then got a a movie to finish it off or something. Yeah, they they had that weird show where like all the power went out and there was no explanation for it. Revolution, maybe? Revol- yeah, was that the one with Jason Ritter or was that Jason Ritter one and a different one? Jason Ritter might have been the event. Yeah, there was that one. Manifest? Yeah. Which, interestingly, I believe got canceled fairly quickly, went to Netflix, did very well on Netflix, and I think they might be bringing it back. I think I heard. I don't know if Netflix is or NBC is. La Brea, which did get renewed, is another... NBC's been trying to make Lost since ABC had all that success with Lost and has never really found it. Well, with Endgame, this was more of a cat and mouse, I don't say super spy kind of a thing, but that kind of... Okay twist on a police procedural. It wasn't the same sort of... Weird sci-fi. Quasi-sci-fi thing that, like, a Lost would be. Got it. Okay. But the premise of Endgame was such that I'm like, I don't know how they could do another season of this. Yeah. And when they ended on a note of, oh, that's how they thought they could do that. Got it. Knowing at the time the likelihood of them getting the second season, I'm like, come on, if you had ended it clean, I'd have been much happier. Yeah. Well, and The Blacklist is another interesting one. That was a show... I mean, it's been around for nine seasons, and it's coming back again. Uh, they've stuck it on Sunday night, and it gets just enough viewers to, or no, not Friday night. It gets just enough viewers to keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Part of me is surprised James Spader stuck with it that long. But yeah, that's another show. And didn't they do another show with an arms dealer or something? Um, Blind Spot? Was that it? The, 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 like the woman with the tattoo or something? That, yeah, that was Blind Spot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's certain, I don't want to say formulas or whatever, but, you know, patterns that we see repeated. Yeah. And they're not identical shows by any stretch, but they're ones where, okay, somebody had to go figure out this crazy elaborate plan that, in reality, there's no way on Earth it could possibly work as well as it does. Of course not. 
you know, the same basic thing of the premise of Prison Break. Yeah. You know? So, I enjoyed it. It was fun. I watched it as much for Miranda Baccarin as, as anything else, and it's like, okay, I'll sample the first episode. It hooked me and my sister enough, but it, again, it hit a point at the end where we finish it, we turn to each other, it's like, do we want to record an episode on this? And we're like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you guys have never watched it. I watched most of the first season, and I never even finished it. I thought it was manipulative, but to be fair, the number one show on television and has been or fighting for it with the Big Bang Theory when it started. This Is Us was in its announced final season and was the top-rated show on television this season, actually. Yeah, yeah, not surprising. Over on NBC, and like I said, the Chicago shows do really, really well. The Law & Order shows, you got three of them, they do really, really well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that that hold, and again, not having to deal with Sunday night because of Sunday night football. Yeah. And then things like America's Got Talent and The Voice filling in some of those spots through most of the year. NBC is doing really, really well for a broadcast. Cool. All right, let's go back to the CW. I watched almost every one of these shows until around the time of the pandemic. So I have very little to add for this season, but I know these are the comic shows. The, you know, there was a bunch canceled, which is interesting. This was the first year that many of those shows did not have guaranteed spots on Netflix. Or, well, guaranteed money to go to Netflix after they finished her. Yeah. Batwoman had an interesting season. They were trying to really play up the Batman connection mm. with the villains and stuff like that. And I thought it was it was, it was was good. I'm not going to say it was brilliant or whatever, but they also ended on a note where they could do more, but not since they're not. And, they're, you know, it's not getting a fourth season. Not one where it's like, man, I'm, I'm upset with that. Okay. And again, when you've got to you know, between the first and second season, replace the lead character and such. The fact it went for two more seasons after that, I think, was a credit to them. <clears throat> Legends of Tomorrow, a fun show, but always a little bit of an odd duck, particularly as they embraced the, the wackiness and stuff over the later seasons. Ended on a note where, again, I think they were really pulling out all the stops to try to get that eighth season. And the fact that they're not, it, it felt like things were left undone and didn't end on a good note. Didn't I hear, though, that I believe several of the stars of that show have been signed on to be regulars on Flash next season? So you may still get an ending for some of those characters. That would be good. I had not heard that, but I have also not watched most of this season of Flash. I've only watched the first chunk of episodes they aired. I've let the others kind of stack up. So I haven't watched the bulk of the season. And I thought the opening arc, which was a, a quasi almost I don't want to say crossover, but had guests from other shows. It was all right. Yeah. It was the first time they'd really gotten characters from different shows interacting really again since Crisis. And of course, there was no way it could live up to that. I've since watched the full season of Naomi. Was not the least bit surprised it didn't get a second season, but I was surprised it had gotten a first. And I mean that as no disrespect for the people on the show. I think they, by and large, did a terrific job. But let's face it, when this show was... was first kicked off and gestated and stuff, it had source material of a six-issue limited series. So I've, my sister and I have watched it, we've recorded on it, and I've also reread the first six-issue miniseries with James, recorded on that, and those will be coming out. And then my sister and I, as we record this, are marathoning through Superman and Lois, which has gotten another season. Not a big surprise. It has. It's the CW's most popular show. I've been watching it over on HBO Max. I actually really like it. I am of the age where Lois and Clark is still my favorite Superman show that ever aired, but I think this has quickly become my second favorite. Yeah, I think they're doing some good stuff here. I'm going to be interested to see if in a in the third season, they start the season looking like they're going for a particular, I don't say villain or whatever, but going in one direction and then saying, no, no, we're just kidding. We're going this other way. Yeah. Because they've done that both seasons so far. And it's worked. Matter of fact, I think the plot line they've had this season was not one I would have expected, but they've actually taken a classic Superman concept and really breathed some new life into it by borrowing from a few other ideas from some other places. So I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I like this show. It's weird, I'm not a big Superman fan, but Smallville, Lois and Clark, this show... Superman seems to make a great television character, even though I'm not as big a fan as a comic character. 
I think there's a lot you can do with the character of, of somebody who always wants to do the right thing and struggles with it. Yeah. Well, and somehow on television, he always seems more human and less godlike than he tends to in comics. I think a lot of that is because on television, you've got to spend a little bit more time with Clark than with Superman. Yeah. And even if you see Superman, he's often just standing around versus in one of these, you know, video game battle sequences that you'll see in the movies. Yeah. Not that we don't get plenty of that in Superman and Lois, too, but I, I think they've they've cast well and uh, gone in some very interesting directions with the show. Yeah. So the fact that Flash and Superman and Lois are continuing, not surprising. I thought I heard both of those were going to be mid-season shows, though. CW schedules all over the place, and yeah. with the filming in Canada and other... Yeah. They kind of only had mid-season shows this year to start with, and yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it pans out. And then the other show they've got that's, of course, not on here because it didn't air during the regular season is Stargirl. Yeah. But I don't know that they've aired anymore since the last time we talked about the shows because I'm trying to think if season two had started at that point because I watched that and it was fine. Yeah. Other things of note, Riverdale was renewed for a final season, so quasi-canceled. Nancy Drew, which no one watches, somehow is coming back. The remake of Dynasty was canceled. Again, if it wasn't for Netflix money, that would have been canceled a long time ago. As was the remake of Charmed, as was the 4400, as was Legacies. One of the nice surprises, though, All-American, and now its spinoff show, All-American Homecoming. Two of CW's more successful shows, kind of right there with The Flash behind Superman and Lois. Uh, both of those will be back, and arguably two of the bigger hits on the network. How about Kung Fu? I haven't watched that, but I've been curious about that one. It does all right. It's not Flash Superman All-American level, but it is above, you know, the Nancy Drews and Dynasties and Riverdales yeah. of the world. Walker, I would put kind of in that same category. Both of those will be back, as arguably they're both kind of remakes. They're both kind of continuations, well, depending on how you look at them. Aren't they doing a spinoff of Walker? They might be. I th I'm pretty sure they are, because... The actress who played Oliver Queen's daughter in the future sequences and stuff, I think, is the lead of it. Oh, okay. And that looks like it's going to be set back in time as a, a Western and such like that, so I'm curious about that. Oh, that'll be, that might be interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I'll actually get around to watching it or not, but I'm curious. Yeah, like I said, I, Kung Fu and Walker interest me, but I haven't actually watched either of them. Yeah, only so many hours in the day is what it comes down to. Exactly. And then next season they've got Gotham Knights coming up. Yep which I've seen a preview trailer kind of a thing for and could go either way. I will say this. It's not never aired on broadcast television. Aired, I believe, on the Epic. It is now over on HBO Max. Have you seen Pennyworth? I watched the first season of it. I was pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed it a lot. It was not the kind of show I wanted. Fair enough. I can understand that as well. It was enough that it's like, yep, not coming back for a second season. <laughs> Fair enough. And it wasn't a bad show. It's just not what I wanted. Yep, I totally understand that. But yeah, with the CW, I mean, they're definitely undergoing some changes and stuff with the network being sold and whatnot. And I think with Batwoman Legends of Tomorrow ending, we're at a, a turning point on the whole Arrowverse. Well, okay, so Warner Brothers clearly needs to cut and be more profitable. Mm -hmm. Undeniable, okay? Viacom is in this position where it used to use you know, and to be fair, Warner Brothers did as well. Use this as a shopping spot and a display room for selling to streaming services. But they've kind of been now told, hey, we've got our own streaming services. You're coming over here. So there's not a lot of money in selling to yourself. Well, and particularly if it's not a, a hardcore major franchise or something, because you look at what they're doing with the Star Trek stuff. Yeah. They got new Star Trek shows, seems like starting up every other day. And that's something that's an investment for the, the CBS Viacom yep. group. Whereas doing another primetime type show, not so much. Yeah. And again, all of those shows had Netflix a number of years ago. I'm trying to remember now, five, ten years ago-ish, somewhere in there. Just kind of made a blanket deal with the CW where they were going to take everything. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm trying, it ended this year, last year. And, but again, they're... Original programming in the early days of Arrow, Netflix kind of just agreed to buy anything they aired at close to a million bucks an episode. Wow. Which was guaranteed money for, and it kept a lot of these shows around. Yeah, yeah. 
and they don't have that anymore. Yeah, they're in a very different spot. And again, like you said, creating your own content for your own streaming service is an investment. Mm -hmm. When you were creating it to sell to someone else, you had a guaranteed buyer, uh, it was a profit center. It's not necessarily as true now. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what CW looks like in another year or two. Absolutely. So anything else you're thinking of? or No, not really. I think we've covered the, the various networks and stuff. I'm going to be curious to see how things shape up in the next year or two as we you know, are really coming out of the pandemic. They're able to do more of a regular pilot season, those sorts of things, and just how the audience and, and its interest has changed during the pandemic and such. Because I, I think we're going to see some of the major t- trends continue of you know, viewership just kind of whittling away and such. And there are going to be some shows where it's like, do you really want to invest that much per episode moving forward? Do you want to go for more unscripted stuff? You know, does it move those shows, the shows I tend to watch at least move over more to streaming? How does it all play out and where does streaming go moving forward? Well, and I think that's interesting. You've been doing episodes on television shows for four or five years now, at least. At least. And there was a point where almost everything you covered was on broadcast television. Yeah. Nowadays, almost everything you cover is a streaming original. A lot of them, yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, it's just changed. Well, and it's funny because I've noticed over the years it swings back and forth. At one point, a lot of what we were watching was on the Sci-Fi Channel, back when they had the Stargate show, Doctor Who, and a few things like that. Or was it TNT or TBS that had, like, White Collar and a few other good shows? It was USA. Yeah, it was Comcast again, NBC. It was USA. You're right. You're right. But then that just kind of stopped. Yeah. You know, so I don't say it's a pendulum that swings back and forth, but different areas have different shows I'm interested in at different times. And just because I'm watching a lot of CW right now, it doesn't mean two years from now I still will be. It just depends where those shows are. Yep. So, yeah. I think one of the other interesting trends that we're going to see it play out in streaming, the, the question here is, does Netflix change or does everyone adapt to their model? In terms of dropping everything all at once or in terms of... Yeah. Exactly. While consumers tend to say they like it, it keeps those shows relevant for a lot shorter period of time. Yeah. Yeah. You get a boost for a few days to a week when you kind of just put the whole season out, as opposed to several weeks when you at least put it out more like a weekly episodic thing. Yeah. I think from a marketing point of view, releasing it a week at a time, an episode a week or whatever, that makes a lot more sense just for the, the longer term buzz. From a viewer perspective, I kind of like it all dropping at once. Well, it depends. I will tell you this. As someone who, again, has friends over and we watch together and stuff, when something comes out, hey, the new show, oh, that's exciting. Let's watch the first one or the second, whatever, one or two. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then I'll see you again next week, week after we'll watch another one. That is a lot easier than, hey, do you want to sit and watch an eight-hour movie? Yeah, yeah. So... It can work both ways. I understand there's probably an audience for both. But it's a lot less intimidating if all that's dropped is the first episode. Or two. Usually, Many of them drop one, two, or three sometimes with that first one. Yeah. That tends to be pretty common. The other advantage to dropping them episode by episode is not only does that spread it out across a longer time, but it also means there's, in theory, less of a gap between seasons. Also true. Because I know I hit, hit one or two shows, I think it was 12 Monkeys, where the first season or two, episode by episode, week by week kind of a deal. But then the third season, they did three nights of four episodes each, or four nights of three episodes each, whatever it was. But in the span of a week, it's like, boom, the entire season drops. And then it's a full another year or so to the fourth season. By which point, my sister and I had totally forgotten what the hell had happened in the third season. That is weird. I, I seem to remember... I think by that point, I was watching it on Hulu, and while they may all have showed up at the same time, again, I took a, yeah, we'll watch one or two tonight, okay, I'll see you next week, we'll watch one or two more, you know. For me, since my sister and I get together twice a week for an e- you know, the evening and such, it's easier to marathon stuff through. Yep. And some stuff, uh, I retain the, the plot a lot better that way. I don't know if I don't have the attention span, or I tend to, I can't watch more than about two hours in any given session. Now. A friend I watch television with, there's a lot of pausing and talking for 45 minutes, and then, yeah. Yeah, no, different different environments, different people, different flavors and yep. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Different viewing habits. I get it. Yeah. Nothing right or wrong about that. 
Yep. No, absolutely. Just again, and I'm sure there's audiences for both. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again for putting all the numbers and stuff together. I always find this interesting to go through every season and such. Yeah, it is interesting. At times, it feels like it's becoming less and less relevant only because I've only been tracking this stuff, I don't know, 15-ish years. Mm -hmm. And these numbers are 10% of where they were when I started. (laughs) Yeah. Possibly even less than that. Well, and again, the percentage of what I'm watching versus what's on this list is shifting a little too. That's true too. I used to if I if I wasn't still watching, I'd at least watch the season at one point or at least four or five episodes of everything on this list. Yeah. That's not even close to true anymore. Well, the first couple of times we did this, I was able to talk towards a lot of the shows, whereas here, some of the networks, it's like, I got nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that is absolutely true. But I've aged out of that that demographic they want, so you know, they're not targeting me. Well, I'm technically still in it, but yeah. Anybody who has questions or anything, drop them in the Slack channel. There's a TV channel in on the Slack, and I tend to see those. So anybody who has any specific questions about numbers or things we didn't cover, uh, you can ask, and I'll be happy to try to find the information. Cool. Sounds good. Anything else? That'll do it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.